Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 196, A Promise is a Promise, recorded June 7th, 2015, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockroll, and joining me this week is Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, Seth. How are you? Hello, Mark. I am doing well. Um, spiritually, I'm here. I should say physically, <laughs> not uh, not doing so hot, but I will make it through the show one way or the other. Seth is playing Hurt tonight, so uh, we've all done it. Uh, Chris had a last-minute work obligation where his boss said, get on a plane now, uh, so he's not with us this week. Um, but you got the you got the important ones? I, I, I don't even know how to follow that up. Chris isn't here. Uh, but Seth and Seth We're is- We're certainly in, the bigger ones. <laughs> Seth is, is like running at half speed, so- um, it's you're it's all up to me and and that's, and that's as wrong. slow as I talk normally we are in for a trick tonight. <laughs> so Seth and I were having a discussion before the show about books we've read recently and I thought oh, wait let's stop let's record that because this is the kind of thing our audience loves to skip through. Um, so I was just commenting recently that I just started a book that Seth recommended uh, called uh, Live Free or Die: The Troy Rising series by john ringo and, and like i said i just started i'm only halfway through chapter three uh but i really like it um and we were talking about series and and thing, things that we like he's rereading the honor harrington series um and then you were going to say something about only read fiction yeah i don't i've just um i've only read like sci-fi type fiction for about the last couple of years, I mean, I'll read my Bible a little bit occasionally here and there, but um, as far as just picking up a book and reading it, if it's not science fiction, I pretty much haven't read it. So, uh, <laughs> and I've read, I don't know, I'm probably getting close to a hundred books in the last three years. Um, and they pretty much all been sci-fi. So I've become really familiar with John Ringo, David Weber, and a bunch of other people like that. But, um, I don't know. I need to broaden my horizons and actually probably learn something, but I just, I don't have a passion for it. Uh, so let me see. The Audible app has stats. I'm going to see if it'll tell me what I've, uh, I won't. Let's see. Um, uh, listening level list. Uh, never mind. Anyway, I just thought that would be cool because I, I, I know I'm in the 60s, uh, Audible right. books, uh, and I only started a year and a half ago. So I, I've mentioned before Audible has really re- reawakened my love of books. But I I consciously don't um, only do sci-fi because it's easy to fall into that. It's uh, it's you know Or fantasy or fiction, whatever it is you enjoy. It's easy to get caught up in that. But I, I try to read uh, as many nonfiction books as I read fiction. Um, and some of them I enjoy as much. Some of them I don't. It's it's true that I'd rather, uh, f- for the most part, my nonfiction reading is blogs and, and web articles and tech manuals, and my fiction reading is, is for pleasure. Um, I did just recently read a book called uh, uh, Spam Nation by Brian Krebs. He was the Washington Post security blogger for a while, now runs his own blog, Krebs on Security. Um, for this audience, it's not for you. Um, not to say it's a bad book. Just this audience probably knows already everything they're going to talk about. If you're into if you if you've grown up in 
the computer world and, and you understand spam. Uh, there's some interesting history behind, behind it. You learn about some of the Russian cartels and some of the personalities. But overall, you know, it's a it's a six out of ten. I mean, it's it doesn't suck. It's and, and again, it's a fine book. Just didn't hold my interest. Um, uh, so. Now, one I did read was called "Bring the Jubilee," and it was kind of a um, alternative history thing where the South won the Civil War, and uh, that was an interesting book. So, um, but that's been it for like my nonfiction. Prior to that, or I read my, a book my non-sci-fi on a coworker's recommendation called "Love Does" by Bob Goff. Um, and it's a, it's a chicken soup for the soul kind of book. Uh, it's, it's fine. It's a Christian, a spiritual uplifting, no, no real hard discipleship, no serious anything, just, just stories. Um, uh, but the, my complaint about that one is the author read the book. And in my experience, when authors read the book, it's almost always terrible. I don't know why that is. Uh, even really good, you know, people who are known to be professional speakers when i've listened to their audiobooks they've not been good the most recent example that was not that was the opposite of that was um uh long uh, i've forgotten the name of it the uh, long dark tea time of the soul douglas adams of course douglas adams has been dead 20 years so it was a, an old recording and the the audio quality was poor but he read it really well but uh one of george carlin's books i tried to read and actually returned it because I couldn't listen to him read his own stuff. Uh, Tim Conway had a, a book about an autobiography. Same thing. Couldn't listen to it. He was so bad at reading. And I love Tim Conway. He was. Yeah. He's, he's a great actor, great comedian, but he could not read his own words. So it's an interesting phenomenon. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, it's. I guess it just has something to do with, you know, they kind of know what went into it, and so they, you're getting too much backstory, I guess, for them to put whatever the audience needs into it. So, uh, but you know, that is an interesting thing that you wouldn't think, you know, um, if you were just thinking about it, you would think, Oh, this author is going to know exactly how to read it. And it's going to sound the best, but it's weird that, that probably for the most part, it ends up being the worst. And and it's probably that I'm a, a, a harsher critic than most people because I, I listen to cadence and rhythm and pronunciation and, and the whole time I'm thinking, how would I have read that? Uh, because I have some, you know, for years now I've been sort of a public performer. Um, and so maybe, maybe it wouldn't be so bad, uh, if it, if it wasn't me. Maybe other people wouldn't notice it, but sometimes I read a, uh, or hear somebody read a phrase and I'm like, that's, that's entirely the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. Um, and you shouldn't have inflected it that way. It just doesn't make sense that way. Um, but again, maybe that's just because I'm a tough critic. And speaking of tough critics, the literal net, the pedant net, was out in full force this week uh, based on my comments on uh, Richard Stallman. Uh, so uh, I, I'm not going to read any one specific email. Let's see, do I have... Uh, we have a voicemail from the door-to-door geek, uh, interver- indirectly related to to that. But uh, I, the, I'm not going to read any of the emails because you, you can you can guess kind of emails I've gotten. I've been corrected on the definitions. Uh, pedants love correcting definitions. Um, I've been corrected on the definition of malware, corrected on the definition of malicious. I've even been corrected on the definition of harm. If you remember, we had a, I read an email a while back. Somebody corrected me on the definition of about because I said the show is not about Linux but about life in the context of Linux. Um, I was accused of misquoting Stallman by reading the words he wrote. 
I'm not really sure how that works. I'm not sure how you can read an article and misquote somebody. Um, but just want to say, message received, pedant net. I got it. Um, not going to change anything that I do, but message received. Gotta love it. <laughs> I, the, I don't mind. I really don't. Uh, I, I know that I was acerbic just then. Um but that was more in in service of the humor of the moment. I I love that these guys are passionate about it, and I love that they're defending this guy, and I love that they see me as my comments as attacking him. I I tried not to directly attack him, but attack his principles, attack his points. But they see that as a direct attack on him, and that's a good thing. That's the that's the kind of camaraderie and the kind of passion that we need in this community and any other community. So I I accept that, and and I know that I'm just going to get a brow beating anytime I say anything negative uh, in in you know certain areas, um, and I and I'm not mad about it. Um, I, I it does illustrate sometimes though why new people have a hard time finding their way in the Linux world because so many of all, of our people of us I am one of you um, are are pedantic jerks, um, and you don't even know you're doing it. You're just you're just doing you, and you doing you doesn't doesn't always match up with other people. Uh, so I just want you to understand I'm not mad at you. I love you. Nothing but love for you. But you're not doing. You're not actually helping anything. Yeah. No. You know. And part of that is we forget that we have reached a certain level in the debate, and we know certain things that somebody who is just stumbled across what's Linux and they're asking these questions. They're asking them seriously. Whereas other people ask them has like straw men to topple in arguments. And we just brush off their questions and jump back in to where we are on level 79 fighting the boss. And they're like, <laughs> they picked up a stone on level zero, you know, and we, and we come, we just crash them asunder and go on to slay our dragons. And then we wonder why we're all alone in the world. But- so. Way to bring in the RPG uh, reference. That's that's the way that to, to speak the language of our audience. Oh yeah, I mean, I I figured. So, I I is one of us. Yes, I did also get some email from people about uh, the Kung Fury game. You know, I talked about the Kung Fury movie. Seth, have you managed to watch it yet? I have not. Okay. Um, well, they made a game, and um, I didn't. I didn't not like the game. Um, it's a retro style. It's it's the view of it is as if you're looking at a CRT tube from an old game. So you kind of see a frame around it. You see the curve of the screen. It, it flickers and, and that's consistent with their recreation of it. The gameplay itself is a little too simplistic and boring. It's, um, you know, tap the left side of the screen to punch left, tap the right side to punch right. Um, if you miss, there's a moment of recovery and that's when people can hurt you. Um, and I'm it's and it's actually really hard. Maybe the reason I don't like it is that I'm not good at it. I, I haven't gotten very far. Um, but check it out, Kung Fury Game. It's uh, available on uh, Android and iOS. Um, some of our audience absolutely loved it. Uh, I, you know, it's a it's a fine standing in line game. It requires zero thought. Uh, it's just muscle memory, just twitchy thumbs. Um, and sometimes that's what I want. Um, but sometimes right. I want something a little more. And we're going to talk a little more uh, based on some email from Kevin um, who in my best um, um, princess bride voice just sucked one year of my life away 
says, Hi, game. I'm a casual listener to Everyday Linux. I'm currently listening to episode 195, and I just had to pause and send you guys an email concerning your discussion on the current state of video games. I almost enti- I agree almost entirely with your, I guess you'd say, disappointment in casual gaming these days. So much so, in fact, that I've created a company called Project Product. We specialize in retro-style video games using today's techniques. Uh, I would like to invite you to try one of our games called Gravitrex. Uh, it can be found on the Android Play Store. It's this. That's not the whole story, though. Project Product is passionate about arcade gaming, and we've made a completely different arcade version of Gravitrex that runs on top of Linux. Please visit our web- website at projectproduct.com. Those are both spelled with Ks. Project with a K, product with a K, dot com for more info on that. Uh, I will go ahead and not make this email any longer. Just wanted to show you uh, what I'm doing with my life in the context of Linux. Yours, Kevin. So I downloaded Gravitrex um, and can't stop playing it. Um, it comes, it's what I love about it. No annoying ads, no banners, no interstitials. Um, you get 25 levels for free and you can buy more. Thank you, Kevin, for not treating me like I'm a moron. Um, now I understand that there's a possibility that you will never make money off of some people because they're never going to pay for more ads. Excuse me, for more levels. I've played the first 25 levels. Uh, I'll probably go back and try to improve my score on those 25 before I will pay you. But the game is good enough. I probably will. So it's a it's a green uh, vector line of really reminiscent of the old um, a Star Wars game, the old Atari or uh, Tempest. Oh, I think it was red, but it's vector graphics, just lines, very simple graphics. And you get to fly two little little lander modules. Tap on the left side of the screen for left thrust. Tap on the right side of the screen for right thrust. So it's like Moon Lander or any other number of things like that. You've got fuel to conserve. You've got damage if you land too hard or bump into things. But where where it's really cool is that they add, it's also a puzzle game. So it starts out very simple, and then as you move up, so you've got to move this thing. You can latch onto it, like throw a hook on it and move it. But then the physics change because you're carrying an extra mass. Um, and then you have to carry it over here and you have to clear this path. And, and the whole objective to all the levels is move your lander from the, the starting pad to the ending pad. Uh, but the what I love about it is they make that simple objective really complicated. It, uh, the puzzles in my mind are reminiscent of Portal uh, in that sometimes you have to think outside the box of... of you know, this is not something that I would think about doing. Uh, so I really like that. There were several of them where I just uh, had to just stare at it for a while and go, I don't, I don't know what to do. Um, <laughs> which a couple of them were as soon as you start the game, things start falling on you. And you don't know that because the, the, the way the gameplay works is the, you don't, you get a brief expanded view of the whole puzzle. And then when you click, click the screen to start, it zooms in on your craft. So unless you were paying real a close attention to that first view, which is small and you can't really see all the details anyway, you're not really sure what's going on. And so as you move along, your, your view follows you. So things come into view. Um, and as, and I never found a way to go back to that exploded view. Uh, it does that automatically actually, as you get into bigger spaces, it. Anyway, the gameplay is really cool. Uh, I didn't intend to spend all this time talking about it, but as you can tell, I really like it. Um, and it, it's it's a great standing line game. I downloaded it um, last night, uh, I don't know, 20 hours ago, uh, and have already finished it because it's that addictive. Uh, so Gravitrex, give it a try. I, I said it's only in the Android store, so uh, anybody out there running an iPhone, you're probably not listening to the show anyway. Um, <laughs> except you, Seth. Well, mine's for work. I didn't pay for it. 
So, um, well, I will say that might give me a reason to uh, pull out my uh, Android tablet from underneath the wall of books that has accrued <laughs> on top of it and uh, charge it up, update it, and see if I can go get it. Because I have a couple of tablets that sit, um, you know, they make the lovely basis for a pile of books. Yeah. Um, How sad is that? First world problems right there. Um, yep. I, I actually had one that uh, um, the battery just through lack of use died. Uh, and once a, once a lithium ion expends its last charge, you can never recharge it. Um, and, and I ruined like a $400 tablet. It's not worth 400 today, but it was at that time through lack of use. Um, again, first world problems. Yeah. I, uh, although I did buy a, uh, seven inch windows tablet for $40 just to play around with. And, so I played around with it for a day, and it's sitting in the seat of my car. Again, <laughs> first world problems. Yeah. All right, next up, we've got some voicemail from our good friend, the door-to-door geek. Hello, uh, Seth. Hello, Chris. And hello, Mark. This is the door-to-door geek, a.k.a. Steve McLaughlin. This is a pipe-in on the Richard Stallman article. First and foremost, I utterly agree with you guys. We need someone like him to exist just so we understand what the fringe is, just so we understand what's out there. Uh, But you guys made one mistake. You said, we need people, we need him and people like him. As far as I know, there's nobody else like him. I've never in my life seen, heard of, anything, anybody like him. So when he dies, I don't know who's going to take his place. Okay, and number two, I can do my nine to five without any proprietary software. I I can. I am now basically a solutions architect. Nudge nudge. You know what that means? Uh, I don't do anything. All I do is point at stuff and tell the people less technical, less technically literate or knowledgeable on what they can do, how they can do something, or why they should do something. There are plenty of jobs out there that can exist without proprietary software because you'll always have people who don't want to learn. You'll always have people out there who don't want to do stuff, okay? I do agree. If tomorrow we woke up and there was no proprietary software, we would go through such a ridiculously hard economic hit. I don't know how we could survive because I do think 80-plus percent of the jobs would be abolished or have to change into being something different or completely different. So I'll just say I am a guy. I am in the technology field, and I can do all of my job without proprietary software. No doubt. No doubt. Thank you for the podcast. Later, guys. All right. So it sounded like he was on the Autobahn there. Um, <laughs> and so he's responding to my comment where I said that, uh, you know, essentially proprietary software is a way of life and there's no way around it. And I can't do my job without it. He has a job where he could. I didn't say that nobody could. Um, I just said that I couldn't. And there's lots of people like me who couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't do mine either. Um, okay, 
that's all. Thanks. Thank you, Dor, for your feedback. And then the last bit of listener feedback. Um, no, oh, I added another one. Dennis brings me some some bad news. Dennis wanted to ruin my day. He says, I heard y'all talk about Yahoo Pipes on a podcast. Now I see they're killing it. They must have listened to the show. And he puts a link in there where Yahoo plans to kill pipes. Um, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, only only geek-heavy people like me would have been using it, and probably not that many of them. But I have a number of pipe scripts. Think um, if this, then that. It's very similar. Uh, but it, it added what my, the thing that I liked about it was it could give you an RSS feed of your results. So you could say, grab this and add it to this, and only if it has this, and then give me an RSS feed of the results. So the on the uh, on the Element OP homepage, there's a subscribe all button that will subscribe to all our shows. That was relevant at one point in time. And <laughs> I used Yahoo Pipes to put that together. So when they close it, that's, that, that feed's going to go broken. I'm going to have to find a way to do it. So, yeah, um, I'm sad, but I can't blame them. Yeah, and, you know, we actually got a couple on that, and I was going to put um, – I came across that story as well, and I was going to put it in the new section, but I figured I would uh, let our listeners take the lead on that one. Yeah, and they're killing some other services. They're killing Yahoo Maps. I'm not sure anybody will notice. And what else? There was something else that they mentioned in the VentureBeat.com article. Well, and uh, they're also depreciating the um, Yahoo tie-in to the iOS mail app for really old versions of iOS that, like, if you have an iPhone 1 or 3G or something like that, it'll stop working. Yeah. They're killing Yahoo Music in France and Canada. I didn't know there was such a thing. Uh, Yahoo TV, um, Yahoo Movies in Spain, uh, the Philippines homepage. So sorry, Philippines people. Um, the Yahoo TV in the UK, France, Germany, Spain, um, Yahoo Autos in the UK, um, Yahoo Entertainment in Singapore. These are all things that I was completely unaware of. And apparently there were a lot of people who were unaware of it, and that's why they're going to close it. Yeah, I think they're trying to do the uh, the rim thing of making money doing absolutely nothing. And so right. they're slowly killing off every service they have. Um, and, you know, I, I don't blame them. At, at some point, you've, you've got to clean house. Google does this. Microsoft does this. Uh, you know, Microsoft lopped off a lot of people's arms when they uh, switched to Vista and stopped supporting their old legacy stuff. At some point, you got to clean house. And as much as I uh, liked Yahoo Pipes, and I used it when I was working in schools as a teaching tool because it was one of those drop-down sort of build-your-own-program things, I certainly understand why there wouldn't be a lot of people using it. Right. Uh, this is good. This means Yahoo is is trying to be relevant. How how relevant is Yahoo anymore? Uh, that's a serious question. I don't know. I don't use it for anything ever. Uh, well, Yahoo Messenger. I've had that account for uh, a decade and a half, maybe more. Um, so uh, it's it's still loaded up in my um, I am client pigeon. It's, but what else? What is what else is Yahoo? I don't even know. Uh, email, obviously, and. Uh, I I don't play them a lot, but the whole reason I got a Yahoo account was I was in training class listening to that guy drone on and on, and the guy next to me was playing dominoes. So uh, I went and made a Yahoo account so I could play games. And so okay. there's several there's several games you can play. Like you know, there's a dominoes, some poker type games, and uh, some other ones. Uh, they they kind of browser based, non hard 
type games that you can just, you know, whenever you got a few minutes and brain cells you want to get rid of, you can just kind of zombie out and play games. But, um, no, their My Yahoo page has, I don't even know if you can get to it anymore. They've been slowly taking away any useful aspects of it. So, um, yep, they are the re, I mean, it's my oldest. Well, no, it's my second oldest email address I have. Um, I've had it for 13 years. I've had that account and, um, I don't know. Well, I, if, if they ever do get rid of email, I don't know what I'll do. I did get any, is that your daily driver email address? It's one of them. Okay. So I did get an email from somebody the other day that I had sent from Yahoo on Android. And and I thought at the time, wow, I didn't, they're still around. They're still doing things, but of course they are. I just, it just didn't, it didn't occur to me because I, they're not in my world. Um, Right. I'm, I'm a Google fanboy and, and, you know, admit that, um, webmail. I mean, like every, everybody's mail is webmail these days, right? Does anybody still use a pop three? Um, account. I mean, a, a, a mail client. Am I just out of touch and don't realize that this is a thing people do? Well, you know, um, if we want to jump down to one of the news stories, a lot of people still do because Thunderbird is still a thing. Uh, you know, they just recently came out with Thunderbird three, so you got to have like a pop client to connect to it. I mean, I just as 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 soon as I said that, I realized. Well, heck, I do every day at work on my Outlook account. But Outlook isn't really Pop3. It's their own thing. But that is a mail client on a machine, sort of. I mean, you can go to a, another machine and contact the server using Outlook. So it's not really a client either. But, you know, Enterprise, I guess, Outlook is the king and maybe Evolution and, and some some things like it. Um, but I just – maybe it's just me again because I, I surrendered my higher brain functions to Google. Uh, I left that world, you know, seven, eight years ago. And never looked back. Yeah, I, uh, you know, obviously for the longest, I didn't have internet at home because I refused dial up. And so the idea of a pop account was not something I was interested in. I only wanted webmail. And now that I have internet at home, I just, I like webmail. So, uh, you know, you can get to it from anywhere. Uh, and then the last one, Captain Zero says hello. Um, says, Mark and the rest of the gang of three, I just wanted to pass on that I'm listening to you all. In spite of Doors' comments, I'm listening. Um, I don't really know what that means. Does it mean he doesn't like Door, or that Door said something bad about us? I, I don't know what he means by that. But he says, I don't know how much feedback you get, uh, but I'm, I'm out here quietly, but out here listening every week. The podcast app is shaping up nicely, um, but I'm very ingrained with Dogcatcher, and it's going to be hard to get me to switch, never mind just with just one show to listen to. So I wanted to use that to remind you about the app. Um, the developer's kind of gone radio silent for a while because uh, he's got a day job and we're not paying him, so I'm not mad about it. But there is an app out there. Uh, right now, it's only available on our website, elementop.com. There's a link at the bottom get, uh, bottom right of the page. Get the app. Um, it's also in every show notes we put up. Um, it's a it's a cool thing. Um, it's a collaborative comment ba- uh, commenting app within the thing and and in the time in time it's hopefully going to supersede or or compete with things like dog catcher but right now it's it's just for this show as we're his group of beta testers so check it out um it's a it's a neat app and i'm excited about its potential 
understanding that it's nowhere near where it's going to be just yet. Have you played with it at all, Seth? I have not. Um, I just, I'm, I listen to our podcast, but I, I haven't. So. Okay. I mean, I'm not blaming you. You sounded all defensive there. Um, there've been zero comments recently on, on most of the shows. Um, actually we just, there was one that I didn't see. I checked the app to just look at it. And there's, there's something for one of the recent shows. So, uh, I check it, you know, every day, every couple of days to see and i respond it's another place to interact and i'm hoping to someday be able to tie all those things together like our forums um and this app would all be a single back end or related to each other in some way i think that would be neat that Um, would be cool but it's it's super infant in its infancy right now super see that was a totally miss miss inappropriate use of the word super it's very much in its infancy right now but i do thank captain zero for checking it out and i encourage you to check it out too um, okay, now moving on to some news stories of the week. Uh, and you didn't give me headlines to go with these, Seth, and I didn't do any work ahead of time. So it's this is now going to illustrate the fact that I don't do any words ahead of time. Uh, video Game Hall of Fame over at Yahoo.com. Yes, um, you know, um, I mentioned the games section at Yahoo, but they also review other things, and they mentioned that the first inductees into the world video game hall of fame were introduced and um so there's pong doom super mario brothers pac-man um tetris and world of warcraft so that's your um introductory class into the uh world video hall of fame World Video Game Hall of Fame. So I, I thought it was kind of cool. I don't disagree with any of those. They're all first of their kind, right? Pong was is like the first one, um, right? Doom was the first 3D over the shoulder uh, first person shooter. If not the first, it was it was really early on the first one to get big, right? Um, uh, Super Mario Brothers. I mean, most of us who are of a certain age squandered many many hours in front of the uh, the nintendo nes uh, right on that one uh what else was it uh well duck hunt because you got the gun but uh yeah yeah the, the of course tetris tetris has to be on any list uh all the way back in 1984 wow um, world of warcraft the first mmorpg that most people have ever interacted with i don't think it was the first one but certainly nope. the biggest and most popular one for a very yeah, long time. It, EverQuest, I think, was the first one that got popular, but then it was eclipsed by World of Warcraft. And last I heard, there were still an Everest community, but it was nowhere near the size of WoW. And WoW still gets expansions and lots of stuff. Yeah, nearly lots 15 years later, World of Warcraft is still rolling. Um, yep. I, I've never played it. I, I will confess that. Uh, geek absence in my life never i have watched people play it (laughs) which is a whole thing now um less so in the u.s but in japan and other countries like that it's a sport it's a spectator sport to play video games and 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 thousands if not tens of thousands of people will will gather together in like arenas to watch people play video games yeah and you can make there's apparently 
like celebrity status, Hollywood movie star income status for those top tier gamers. So, you know, all those people out there whose mothers told you you can't make a living playing video games, you were lied to. You just have to be very, very good at it. Um, like, but like, when I was in uh, California doing uh, some schooling, uh, one of my roommates, he had been playing WoW since the alpha testing days. So he was quite good at it. And my brother, he's excellent at games like that. He was highly ranked in WoW at one point. Um, and so I just, I watched him play and I was like, man, I could easily spend all of my time playing WoW. So I try not to get involved in games like that because, you know, I mean, it would take away from my reading, I guess. <laughs> and it's World of Warcraft isn't just a game, right? It's a whole immersive in, uh, experience. People meet and fall in love and and date in World of Warcraft, and and it's it's it definitely belongs in the Hall of Fame. Uh, it may also belong in the Hall of Shame. Uh, definitely. So it it just depends on. On how well you do at it, I guess. You know, well, just like anything, if you control it and it's something you do for a diversion or, you know, if you do it for income, if that's your job playing wow, you know, and you're, you're farming or making whatever and, you know, good for you. But if like anything, your hobby gets control of you, um, then that's a bad thing. So. And. You kind of stepped on my my transition. Another thing that belongs in the Hall of Shame um, is a, a an ISIS terrorist posts a selfie online and gets blown up as a result of it. This doesn't. This I thought this was an onion thing. I really did. I thought it was fake. I didn't believe it until I started it, seeing it really pop up. And apparently, this is a real thing. Yeah, that was that was the, I was the same thing as you. I was like, oh, you know, the onion strikes again. But no. Um, this, uh, this ISIS guy, um, took a selfie outside in like the middle of a city and he, he like, I don't remember which, um, social media site he posted on, um, posted that he was at the headquarters and then they were able to identify the building that he was at just, you know, like street view and landmarks in the background and stuff like that. And then there was like, well, if that's ISIS headquarters and we have, you know, 21st century war fighting capabilities, why don't we blow it up? And so they did. Um, yeah. So uh, some of the things I said was like 15 minutes later, it was, it was about a day later Yeah, from the time he posted the picture to the time he was no longer able to post any more pictures. Um, that, that is both a win for the military and freaky frightening, um, uh, for everybody else. Right. So uh, right now it's an ISIS terrorist and, and I'm going gay, kill the bad guys. But I, I'm, I have a long enough vision to see there could be a time when some of my activities are come, become illegal and they would have the ability to drop a missile on me just from posting a picture online. So frightening, but kind of cool, too. Yeah. So just, you know, of course, I'm sure like I, the first thing I do when I get my phone is I go in and turn off the location embedding in the photos. I don't remember what that's called, but you go in and you turn that off so that way you know, when you post a photo of your house and put it on Facebook, it, the address isn't in there for somebody to download and look at. Um, but you know, or 
just, I guess, make sure if you're going to take a selfie outside, instead of going from the bottom up, maybe go from the top down so they can't really see anything but the ground. Or just don't post selfies online if you're engaged in murdering people. Maybe Or just maybe don't post selfies online. Yeah. I, or don't murder you know, people, th- that too. Right. Yeah, but, you know, I don't, if you could, Mark, if you could get rid of one thing, would you get rid of murder or selfies? Oh, wow. What a question. Wow. <laughs> Honestly, I believe that selfies are a bigger scourge on our culture than murder is. Murder is relatively contained. There's only a few thousand a year, but there's thousands of selfies a day. So you put yeah. it like that. I got to go selfie. <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, or, or, well, here's the deal. There's punishment for murder. There's really no punishment for selfie. It's the punishment so, for all of us. It's it's looking at thousands of duck lips. It's punishing us. Right. Uh, I will say I took my very first selfie ever uh, recently for my LinkedIn profile. I realized I didn't I, I, I create a profile because I never had one. And apparently that's a thing people actually expect you to have. Um, I didn't have any recent pictures that looked even remotely professional. So I took my first ever selfie. It's not professional, but it's not me in shorts hugging a bear at the zoo or something like that, you know. Right. Um, So uh, that was 2015. That's how long it took me to take a selfie. And there's the count has been exactly one in my life. Yeah, I've taken I've taken a few pictures of myself. But uh, I don't know. I don't ever see me getting a selfie stick, though. Those are <laughs> those are ridiculous. A, I want a, a friend of mine from church posted on Facebook that that they had gotten a selfie stick um, and posted a picture of it. And I commented on the post that faint rumble in the distance is the sound of me judging you. Um, and I thought it was all in good fun. They deleted the comment. They didn't want to be judged, even in jest, for having purchased a selfie stick. Wow, that's a, that's awesome. <laughs> Um, you know what else is awesome? The French military contributing to open source projects. I, why would that even be on their list of things? But it is Thunderbird. Yes, they use um Thunderbird, and they call it um, you know, anyway, they call it like a trusted bird or something. And so, but they don't just use it; they turn around and give back to it. So. Thunderbird 3 that recently came out is pretty much uh, a direct result of the uh, French military's uh, contributions to that project. So, you know, I mean, it was just kind of open source in the news. Give uh, credit to where credit is due and say thank you, France, for helping keep uh, pop receptors alive in the open source world. Yeah, I did, that, that seems like strange bedfellows to me. Um, the the French military and an open source web uh, mail client, but hey, more power to him. I was a Thunderbird was the thing I used before I migrated to Gmail, and if I ever came off of the web, that's where I'd go back to. I'm sure. Um, so yeah, yeah, but you know, uh, another you can thing, throw- I, no good transition to this PayPal. Go ahead, Seth. Oh no, I was just gonna mention with uh with Thunderbird, you can put all kinds of extensions in it and That's have true. it do a lot of stuff. So maybe they were using it something like Outlook. And uh yeah. 
and and it, it works for that. It just doesn't work for an Outlook server. I've tried that. It doesn't work well. I, I mean, yes, it works as a standard IMAP or POP3 access to an Outlook server, but you don't get the cool stuff. Evolution is better for that. Um, speaking of evolution, there we go. There's my transition. PayPal uh, tried to evolve their um, terms of service, including some language that people didn't much like. Like, for example, PayPal is now going to... they they pretty much gave themselves permission to call you using their robocall services. Right. But not just call you for any account problems, but for surveys or promotions. And then they pretty much said, um, well, if you don't like it, you can just close your account and move along. And then because everybody said, um, no, they have since re, um, They've backtracked a little bit, but it's not really clear how they're going to let people opt out or how easy it's going to be to opt out. So we will have to see how that is. But, you know, and this is just the thing. If you are a web company, you don't want to piss off people because there's so many other products out there that, you know, yay, you're, you're the 800 pound gorilla in the room. You know, PayPal is the, it's like the Google of paying engines. Uh, but you know, if people get ticked off at you, then it will become the Alta Vista of, uh, pay engines. I so, use PayPal pretty heavily, but there's not anything I use PayPal for that I couldn't use another service for Amazon payments, Google wallet. Um, so there, <clears throat> PayPal is the one that I've been using because it was sort of first to market and right. I've had an account and I use it. But if I decided to switch, it wouldn't be difficult. It would take me maybe 20 minutes of, of my life to link new accounts with the same bank account and be done. So, yeah, they buyer beware on that one or, or seller or PayPal beware on that one. Yeah, I just wonder, um, you know, like I wonder how eBay, because, you know, it used to be PayPal was eBay service and then it's kind of branched out and they've spun it off into its own thing. So would eBay do something else or would you just have to continue to use it if you were going to stay in eBay's fold? I, I don't remember, but that triggered something in the back of my mind that says, I think eBay is, is, has mentioned developing its own payment service. So PayPal grew up alongside eBay, then for a while was part of eBay. I don't think they are anymore. Maybe maybe I'm just totally making this up. But, yeah, it wouldn't be that hard. Um, well, but, no, my, I thought that PayPal created or eBay created PayPal, no, and then they, they spun it off. So. PayPal, PayPal grew on its own, and huh. eBay recognized the value of it and uh, partnered with them, then absorbed them, and then spun them back out if I remember ah. correctly. But early on, uh, when I had a an eBay account, like in 1997, 98, way back then, um, I'm not even sure when eBay came came online, um, the, the PayPal was a service that they were recommending, but it wasn't affiliated with them. Hmm. Pretty sure about that. The internet okay. will correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. So hopefully they will do that soon. <laughs> um, Otherwise, yeah. I'd have to Google that. <laughs> Let me Google that for you. Um, I actually introduced somebody to that service just the other day. Um, so the computers, new computers are solving old problems, including a hundred-year-old biology question. Yeah, I thought this was 
this was a kind of cool story. Um, it's actually on over on popularmechanics.com. Um, and it's almost like there's some AI that was developed here. Uh, you know, of course, basically the scientific method is you look at your, you know, you look at a problem, you propose a solution, and then you see, does your solution match the problem? And then if it doesn't, you modify and then you, you reach, you retest, you remodify, you retest, and eventually you get to a thing. And so one of the great things about a computer is it can do those things so much faster than people can. And so what they did was they kind of programmed this, uh, computer to figure out why worms are basically immortal. You know, if you cut up, um, Flat certain worms, species of, yeah, if you cut them up, the the sections that are left will regrow and become worms again. So it's very hard to kill them. And so they're trying to figure out what genes allow them to do that. And that might be beneficial in, you know, helping humans regrow severed limbs or something like that. Uh, you know, so it's not just one of those cool, I wonder why it's like it could have, if those genes are present, but dormant in people and you can figure out, Oh, if you can turn that on or whatever. So anyway, we've been trying for a hundred years to figure it out and we haven't. And so they kind of set this computer to do it and, it basically, um, seemed to kind of figure it out. Um, and you know, they didn't program it to do it. They just kind of programmed it to look at the problem and then it went through and found out. So not really artificial intelligence, but at the same token, it didn't, didn't tell the computer what to do. It just kind of told the computer what it was looking for and the, the computer figured it out. So it was kind of interesting. Yeah, so the parameters of the program were to randomly guess at a solution, run that solution through a simulation, see if it holds up. If it does, report it. If it doesn't, dump it and randomly guess at another one. But they're able to do that, you know, trillions of times faster than humans can. So eventually they hit on something that worked and basically said, uh, I am now your overlord. Uh, <laughs> I own science. Um this this is just going to continue to happen as computers get better, uh, as as we get better at gathering data and analyzing that data and and more processing power. Uh, computers are going to solve problems before we realize their problems in the near future. I really think that. Right. Well, and you know, at the same token, you it took people familiar enough with the situation to kind of give the computer the parameters it needed. Right. So we're not quite at the point to where a computer goes, I need a smarter computer, uh, you know, and if 42 is the answer, what's the question? Let me build a computer to figure it out. They have to be told where to look in order to get there. So they're not quite um, overlords yet, but I don't think they're, you know, they're kind of middle management now. Right. It's just a matter of time until they figure out they don't need us anymore. And <laughs> right. Then, and then Skynet comes along. Yep. Um, SourceForge decided they didn't need people anymore and started treating them very badly. Um, and then they changed their mind. Yeah. Uh, you know, of course, SourceForge, it's one of the older repositories of software that's out there you know of course kind of github is the current darling of the open source world but sourceforge is like been around forever and so as people have moved off of sourceforge sourceforge apparently makes it almost impossible to 
take your stuff off of there. You can just not update it anymore. And what they kind of went to doing was they would take this version and, um, they would bundle it with, you know, if we were going to quote last week's article, malware, um, but some type of third party program that would do something other than that. You know, it's been done with like VLC and with GIMP and, um, so Ars Technica has reported this and SourceForge just kind of said, um, we realize we screwed up. And so we're going to stop screwing up now and, uh, please come back people. So, so essentially uh, what happened was, is SourceForge would call something unmaintained and the GIMP project it isn't at SourceForge anymore. It's moved on to another place. Um, GitHub is, has been taking a lot of things. I don't know if that's specifically where, uh, GIMP went, but. So SourceForge says, well, this is unmaintained, so we'll maintain it ourselves by taking money from somebody to package their thing when you try to get to GIMP. Um, if that's a super simplified version of what, what they were doing. But essentially, uh, I don't remember what the package was for GIMP, but say you go to go get GIMP so that you can modify images, they'll slip in an ad-supported or, or, or crippleware or shareware version of something um, instead of GIMP or along with GIMP saying this is an unmaintained project. And so people were just yanking their stuff and pulling everything. And um, I'm not sure how the revenue features of SourceForge in general. I know that there's ads, you know, when you download a link uh, over time, it's been increasingly more difficult to actually find the download link on SourceForge because they started putting crap in there to try to click you to fool you into downloading something that's not what you thought you were, what wanted. Um, and so you know, apparently we hit them in their pocketbook, we, the community, by pulling away things. And I saw two or three blog posts this weekend that said, don't use SourceForge ever again. SourceForge is dead. Um, and now they've come back and said, well, we're going to change this, but didn't really say, as, as I read it, how they're going to change it. Just promised to make changes. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of the same thing, you know, download.com used to be the place to go to download software and um they did it and a lot of people left them and you know I quit using them for lots of stuff because it's do you want to install the ask app search app right. and make it your homepage and forever be forlorn to use their crap um click yes and if you click no are you sure you didn't want to do that we think you did so we're going to install it anyway kind of crap and uh, so, and now source, you know, it's one of those things we talk about all the time. People need to support the open source projects because there's no money. Nobody's going to pay to download GIMP because it's for free. And so SourceForge, which has to maintain the bandwidth, the storage, um, and you know, everything involved with that, they have to make money somewhere. And so I kind of, you know, I don't like the way they did it, but you know, they had to do something because they're not making any money and other, you know, so they have to do something or it won't be there. I don't think they did what they did was good, but at the same token, you know, I understand why they did it. Yeah. And they were providing download bandwidth and storage space in a time when those things were very expensive. They're not, yes. they're not so expensive anymore. So right. They were valuable. Uh, they were, they were indispensable, I think. Uh, to a lot of like the GIMP project, the GIMP project wouldn't have been able to pay for all the the bandwidth that it would would have needed for people to download the project. Um, 
So VLC was another one. I mean, they've since moved to their own website, but they were, they were SourceForge for a while. And in this very short time, over the space of a week or two, they have just, well, I mean, this was like the straw that didn't just break the camel's back. It killed the camel and all of its descendants for the goodwill that SourceForge had in the community. It's like, it's not there anymore. Uh, it's going to be really hard to get that back to. Yeah, I don't. And, you know, and here's the thing. There's not source forge. Isn't the only game in town anymore. So I don't know how they would go about getting it back. Right. Um, and Microsoft may find themselves in that same place a few years from now, wondering how they're going to get back all their um, um, embedded systems as uh, Linux is now uh, poised to take over the ATM market. That's a big deal. Yeah. Um, the. um ATM Industry Association, they uh, released a white paper talking about, because, you know, in a lot of ATMs out there run Windows XP or XP embedded. Uh, think about that for a minute. Mm-hmm. 13-year-old software um, is the, that's your, you're placing the security of your financial health uh, whenever you go to an ATM to get cash out. Um but so they've released a white paper talking about the need to look at other things such as Android or Linux moving forward. Um, if it turns out that maybe windows 10 doesn't work out or just has even an alternative. So it's kind of, they're not really saying dump windows and never go back, but they've kind of said, Hey, there's these other things out there and we should take a look at using those. So Which they hope- never even acknowledged in the past. So right. That's the, the monumental sort of thing. Right. Uh, Microsoft got in early on the game uh, and and it's not just ATMs. It's uh, cash registers. It's gas pumps. I, mm-hmm. I have I have on more than one occasion pulled up to a gas pump and seen a balloon screen of death. You know they're out there. Uh, voting machines, frightening, uh, are running on Windows. Um, and so people are recognizing that they don't have to pay the Microsoft tax anymore. Uh, and it br- it brings its own set of challenges. Uh, so the one of the benefits from a from a, a security standpoint is the proprietary nature of Windows, in that it's it's harder for the everyday guy to hack the Windows software because it's it's proprietary and it's bundled and it's wrapped up and it's encrypted and it's it's it takes um, a more advanced level person to hack the Windows core itself. That's why very few uh, attacks anymore attack Windows. Now they attack things hanging off a of Windows, Flash or Outlook or some uh, thing like that. But Windows has reached a point now where it's it's pretty stable and solid, and and it's it's really hard to to attack the OS itself. Um, Linux has had that stability and solidity for a long time, but it's also open code. So, so somebody could actually look at the code, experiment with it and do some things without telling people. So there's, there's pros and cons to both sides, but what's really going to make this, I think, uh, fly down the line is the fact that people are going to see that both Android and Linux can be had at no cost. Uh, and that's going to be the decision. It's not going to be which one is better or which one is more secure. It's going to be which one fattens my pocket the most. Yeah. And, you know, and here's the thing you talk about, this is in the last three years. So since 2012, and I'm pretty confident since 2014, I've seen POS systems, which stands for point of cell, not the other thing, although sometimes that too, running Windows 2000, not even XP, but Windows 2000. So, and that's 
currently in use in production has of at least two years from the date of this podcast. That's kind of a scary thing. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I have no commentary on that. Um, things have to change. We can't continue to do things the way we are. Yeah. Um, I almost am reluctant to talk about this without our, our command light godfather here, but, uh, Steve, uh, St- Steve, Steam um, has officially pinned down the launch date for its uh, Steam machine console. Yes, they are planning to uh, ship by October the 16th and to be in stores for sale by November 10th. I mean, has Christmas season. Yeah, it seems like almost two years ago that they were announced, but they're finally to the place to where, and of course, Steam isn't making the um hardware uh so companies such as alienware and i can't remember the other one i would have to look at it again but so but they are producing you know setting the specs and stuff and they're going to be five hundred dollars which you know 450 for the alienware one right and cyber is 499 which is you know that's on par with a with an xbox or a, a ps4 yeah, I mean, that's a little bit more expensive than them, but not too much. So hopefully they're going to, there has to be some type of value add to get you there. Um, you know, hopefully the fact that it's Steam and you can play it on a regular computer, you know, and you don't have to, I don't know, we'll just, we'll see how it goes. But they've announced, they've set the dates to when things are going to ship and when they're going to be in stores. So you know, this will hopefully, since the Steam box is Linux OS base, it will uh, increase the cred of Linux in the gaming world. And this illustrates something that's bothered me for a long time, and, and I just referred to earlier the Microsoft tax. There is a Linux tax uh, for hardware. Um, across the board, you go to buy some buy hardware designed to run uh, with Linux uh, that comes pre-installed with Linux, you're going to pay more. Um, I'm not, I'm not really sure I understand why that is, but it's, it's been in my experience, an immutable law that if you go to some place, uh, like, um, things that just ran out of my head and names I can't come up with, uh, and buy a machine, uh, system 76, their whole thing is we sell machines with Linux on it, but they sell machines at 1.4 to 1.7 times as much as an equivalent machine would be from from compact or compact wow that's going way back uh dell or 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 acer uh even dell itself if you if you order a dell machine the same laptop uh with linux on it you pay more uh and part of that is because microsoft uh subsidizes the cost of machines so you're you're not getting the subsidy but i i can't explain why uh system 76 or doghouse systems or these guys can can charge the premium rates that they do just because it has Linux on it. Maybe it's just because it's a sycophantic fan base and they're willing to pay for it. Um, but, you know, also the the Linux community is a bunch of cheapskates like me who who don't want to pay for anything. And I'd rather buy a beige box or build one out of components from Newegg uh, and throw Linux on it. So I don't quite understand that disparity there of of the the Linux hardware costing more. And we're seeing that with the, the Valve uh, thing, uh, the Steam machines. Uh, yes, they're premium hardware, uh, but they're they're sold at a higher price than other premium hardwares. Yeah, um, 
I mean, you know, of course, one thing you have components that are tested to work well. And if you've ever tinkered around, you have at one time purchased some memory that was the right speed, but it didn't work with that motherboard right. or that processor or there were some type. So, you know, one, that's worth a little bit of money to know. But, but you know, still, I'm, yeah. I'm going to call BS on that because any system builder who's selling complete systems has to do that anyway. Yeah. Um, it, now maybe it's the fact that we, it's, it's a well-known fact that the, the PlayStation, both three and four and the Xbox, uh, 360 and the Xbox one are sold at a loss. It's a lost leader. Um, you, they sell them for less than it costs them to make so that you'll make up the money on the games. They'll, they'll, but wouldn't steam, wouldn't valve have that same mentality? Why wouldn't they sell this at a loss leader? And if they are, if this is at a loss, then why the heck is their stuff so expensive? Well, one, they don't have the war chest that a Microsoft or Sony okay. does to float them the 18 months, two years it takes for them to make it back. You know, they've, they're sitting on literally billions with a B dollars that, you know, okay, if it takes us two years to make a profit off this, you know, we can coast by, um, you know, take espresso out of the peons washroom and just leave it in the executives. Um, but steam doesn't have that war chest. So they, they can't afford to sell at that deep discount. They have to make a profit or at the very least break even on these boxes. So that's why they're more expensive. Yeah. I just think it's a, it's a case of, of two market forces that are completely incompatible colliding. Um, and so you have the, the community of people who want your product are widely known and self-admitted, um, not willing to pay for anything or, or not willing to pay for, for much. And then you're serving them by charging more than, than the, any of your competitors. And it works for them, right? System 76 is still around and, and, um, and Alienware, you know, uh, has made this partnership with, with Valve because they think it's going to work. But I just don't, I don't understand it. I, I don't understand why it works. Wouldn't they make, wouldn't they sell 10 times as many machines if they cut the price by, you know, 40%? Um, but maybe not. But it seems to me that that's how it would work. I, I don't, th I just don't think they can afford to do it. I don't know. You know, it's if you if you're losing a thousand dollars per, you can't really make that up on volume, right? So right. maybe it's it has to deal with the fact that these guys can't source the parts for as cheap. They don't have Chinese manufacturers. Uh, and in fact, you know, most of these people are probably buying from, you know, if not retail, certainly buying wholesale. Uh, um, the same components that Dell or Acer or HP are buying, but in you know much smaller quantities instead of millions of units it's tens of thousands of units right uh, and so maybe it's just simply a factor of of scale so but then why does dell how can they get away with charging more it doesn't make sense it doesn't cost them more it costs them less. maybe it does cost them more maybe with the whole you know the 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 microsoft subsidies and they actually get paid to put those stickers on laptops um, right, and if they sell you a Linux laptop, none of those stickers apply anymore. 
And so, all of the software that, you know, and it's not as bad as it used to be, but those trial versions of programs, they get paid to put those on the machines. True. So yeah. you can uninstall them or you can wipe it with a, but they get paid money. Hey, we sent ask.com toolbar out on two billion laptops last year. You know, even if it's only a penny a piece, you know, that's $20 million for two seconds of config. So, I mean, that, that's, I could live off of that. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and as I'm, as I'm thinking this through, um, the, there, it, there is more work involved, minimally more, but you do have to set partitions differently and you have to do, you have to do installs differently. You have to have a separate image for the Linux one where you have, you know, uh, and you're going to have, you know, a few hundred thousand of those versus millions of the other images. So I, I do understand the economies of scale, uh, but it just never made sense to me um, that those two markets could coexist, but they do. Um, and I'm, you know, maybe I'm just, it's just me. I'm never, I'm not going to say never. I'm very unlikely to pay, you know, $1,800 for a laptop ever. Doesn't It doesn't matter how good it is. I'm just not likely to ever do that. But there are people that do routinely, and if they can get Linux on it, then they're happy to. So, yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't know. I, I need somebody out there. So there. We have a vast audience out there. We have a vast reach. If you don't know, you know somebody who knows, or you know somebody who knows somebody who knows. F- find us an insider in this field who can come and explain this to us. That's my assignment to the listening audience this week. And I don't see any other news. I think we've finished it all up. And Seth, I'm pretty sure you have used this um, this week in history in the past, uh, but we'll do it again anyway. So, Seth, what happened this week in history? I don't think I have, but, um, I mean, we did talk about a little bit on the news this week, but June 6, 1984, Tetris, one of the best video-selling games of all time, is first released in the USSR. So that happened this week in history in night. 1984 long time ago yes, man yes. and i played this game in the arcade when i was in college in the early 90s so imagine a game released seven years ago being in an arcade today but tetris was awesome i and i loved the tetris on the original game boy that was my favorite way to play tetris was on the original game boy that was the only game i wanted on that game boy was tetris I'm not sure I ever actually played a Game Boy. I don't think I ever did. I never owned one, and I'm not sure I ever played one. Uh, my brother uh, had one. and uh... it, it, Tetris, to me, is a shining example of a simple game done really well. So mm-hmm. we're spending you know, millions of dollars. Modern games today have a budget that would rival a Hollywood blockbuster. Um, and similar shooting schedules. I mean, they, they bring in voice talent and they have 3D animation artists working for years uh, on things. And, and the results are good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I, Call of Duty has never sold anywhere near as many games, uh, copies of the game as Tetris. Um, and maybe that's, you know, a factor of that is that when Tetris came out, there wasn't Call of Duty. <laughs> but a simple game executed well will always excel i really believe that um, well, and but people have forgotten that you didn't pay uh you didn't pay fifty dollars a pop for tetris either that you True. do for call of duty um you know but you didn't have to recoup a billion dollar budget either 
Right. So you, if we made simple games and made them well, we wouldn't need to pay 50 bucks each for them. Yeah. I mean, wow. I guess that is super simple. You just have these blocks and you've got to fit them to make a row. And if you get good, then we'll make it faster. I um, coded it in Turbo Pascal in the 11th grade. I wrote Tetris. Uh, it, I mean, and, and I'm not exceptional. Any 11th grader could do that because it is. It's polygons. It's rotation. Um, it's it's speed. I mean, th- there's there's only three keyboard inputs. Oh, four left, right, up, down, right, and the up is the flip. Uh, so uh, it's well, no, you you could flip left or flip right, and then you could move it over one direction, over the other, or down to speed it up. Okay, so it's I'm not remembering it quite, but it's a really simple game, and it had to be to run on the hardware that was available at the time. Right. Um. And and I think, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think the appeal of games like Tetris is the simplicity. Um, it's a game that any six-year-old knows how to play, but no 60-year-old has ever completely mastered, you know, it, because it can't be mastered. It's it's a game that never ends, and, and I like that about it. It just gets faster and faster. Um, you know, I, I think the Nintendo version did at one point end, but the original game, as far as I, if, if I remember correctly, just never ended. It just got faster and faster until you couldn't do it. Um, and I, I miss those simple games. And I don't, it's not that I don't like the fancy uh, first-person shooter, 3D rendered, really high-quality games they have today. I do. I'm not a gamer, but I, I can appreciate them for what they are. And And it is like watching a movie. You can sit and watch somebody playing um, you know, Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, and it's like watching a movie. And you can you can you can sit there with some popcorn and comment on it, right? Um, and and you and but you can also do that with Tetris. Uh, so I don't think that there's anything missing from the simpler games. I just think that we've we think because we have the technology to do more, we have to do more, and I don't agree with that. I'm I'm soapboxing. I know. But, um, you know, and this is a continuation of my conversation from last week, or my rant from last week. It wasn't a conversation. I didn't let you talk. Uh, but it's just, um, I just, I miss, and, and it's not just in games. It's in, it's in life in general. Maybe it comes with just getting older. I miss the simple things. There's no appreciation for the simple anymore. And, and we think that simple means low quality, and it doesn't have to be. It can be really high quality and be very simple. Yeah. Simple is not the same thing as being a simple ton. And that is unfortunately lost in today's world. You know, some of the old 2D side scrollers, Dig Dug, was one of my favorite games. Right. Right. And and again, it's four controls, left, right, up, down, and push a button to pump air into things. Um, you know, and and Cubert. Uh, you're just jumping around. I but hated it was Cubert. Oh. <laughs> it was so hard. Um and games today are hard by virtue of being able to control a controller with 17 buttons on it and they're hard in a different way. Um, and instead of strategy and instead of, of timing and skill there, it's more about um, difficulty of mastering the thing. But once you've mastered the thing, the game itself from my outside uh, 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 spectators experience again i'm not i'm not a big gamer so i'm not really right to talk about this but watching other people play these complicated games there's a steep learning curve and then it's rote and you're just doing it and you're and now uh, now you've done everything and you're just gaining accomplishments um 
but with a game with a simpler game where you can master it really simply the same is true for chess right any any 11 year old can master the the basic concepts of chess but it's there's so many variations within the game that it takes a lifetime to become a master of the game right um and we're losing that i think as in our as our society becomes more and more technical we're losing the simplicity of something like go right to go back to ancient china no i totally agree uh, i was watching my uh nephew with some of his uh friends at their as after his graduation party and they were playing one of the call of duty games um and they were doing the you know going after each other and i mean there's like a dog and there's weapons from space and all this kind of stuff and it's like you don't have to be any good you just have to get the high power weapon and blow the crap out of people there's no skill involved it's just a race to get whoever touches that panel first is the winner I mean, you're basically, you're, you're playing the hundred yard dash in a video game because whoever gets the nuke is the victor and you can't be the nuke with the water pistol. And the other guy gets the water pistol and dies repeatedly. And I'm like, what, what's the fun in that? You know, in the old original, like Halo, there were different weapons, but each weapon had a strength and each weapon had a weakness. And, you know, it was possible to overcome one weapon with another. And so it was more skill and who was better at their combos and stuff like that. But now it's just who gets the baddest weapon first and go sit on the respawn points. That there's no, that's not fun. I mean, you know, my screen name was expendable and I got killed a lot and I didn't mind, but it's just it's it's no it now there's no challenge to dying <laughs> so <laughs> um and th- there there is that too there's um in the, certainly in the online thing um there is no joy in being a noob uh, yeah anymore and with with older games there the 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 joy was there still you know my uh my six-year-old has a game of frogger on her tablet um, and she enjoyed Frogger now as much as I did back in the eighties, because it's simple gameplay and you can figure it out in a matter of seconds. And then it's just a matter of learning the best way to do it. And that, that may be entirely true. I, I keep, I want to keep prefacing this by saying, I'm looking at this from an outsider's point of view. It, everything that I'm saying may entirely apply to new games, but I don't see it. It's harder to see. Um, and, and it looks to me like an old guy uh, from the point of view of an old guy, it looks to me like, uh, people who, um, it, it, it's how good can you make the animation, not how good can you make the gameplay? I agree with that statement. Um, I got no follow up to that. I got no, I got nothing. So, um, Seth, do you have a show closing spectacular this week? Um, this is one I don't remember if I've used before, but this is the, uh, Klingon Language Institute. <laughs> so if you want to learn Klingon, you can go to KLI.org. So, um, I don't know, just for the tracky in us all. I'm, I'm, I, a sadness bomb just went off near me. It just, that this is a thing that, it saddens me that this is a thing and it's also super cool that this is a thing 
Uh, How to join the Klingon Language Institute. (laughs) Joining the KLI is simple. It is open to all individuals interested in the study of the Klingon language. Members get access to a number of special features, including issues of something, fonts, and Klingon language courses. Membership is only $10 a year. Uh, Discounts available if you sign up for multiple years. Um, So. What I don't know is was the was there a fully functional Klingon language created for the movies and TV show, or was there a like a stub of a language and that later the community fleshed it out? Uh, I don't know that. I, I, maybe there the was for the movies. Institute will teach you that. There wasn't for uh, the TV show. There were just some like phrases, but they actually developed. Um, I w- I saw part of an interview. And maybe I saw the whole interview. I don't remember where this guy who actually developed the language. And one of the cool things was he developed it without using the verb to be. And then, you know, then they throw in that whole to be or not to be speech from Shakespeare. And he was like, oh, crap. (laughs) So it it became this long, long monologue in Klingon because there wasn't to be. Um, And then there was at Paramount commissioned i i wanted to buy it i never saw the completed thing but they commissioned a translation of the king james version of the bible into klingon i never saw it available i wanted to buy it simply for the geek factor Um, and that's way high there's major geek factor there yeah but the paramount studios they actually commissioned translating the king james version so they weren't going back to the original greek or hebrew but they were like taking the king james version um and translating that into klingon and i was like that is a book i will buy um and then i I never saw that it was finished or i never saw anything periodically i and i haven't done that golly you know if only there were some repository i could look and see if that ever came about but um So what I predict we'll see next is the Minion Language Institute for the Minions from uh, Despicable Me. Um, and they, you will be able to speak <laughs> Minion. Uh, I, I, I'm not making fun of you. I'm laughing with you, Klingon Language Institute. Um, God love you for being passionate about a thing. Um, I just don't get your thing. That's okay. You don't have to. I don't get yours. You don't get mine. That's fine. Uh, but Wow. Uh, Star Trek and Star Wars, those two um, um, properties of fiction, have so embedded themselves in our culture. It's amazing. The Simpsons is right there along with it, too. But the Simpsons kind of lived in the same world we do. Um, so, right. But just, just, I don't think you can get through the day without hearing a reference to one of those two things. I, as an IT geek, could not. That's another thing. You know, I said I couldn't do my job using uh, no proprietary software. I couldn't get through it a day without some reference to either Star Wars or Star Trek. Um, it's just so, it's so much part of our, our world. And, and that's both amazing and tragic to me at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, I like, I, I don't think I would ever learn to speak it to be able to read it, but I just, it just seems cool. You know, Klingon Language Institute, um, Star Trek, regardless of what anybody else says, actually does rule the world. <laughs> Okay, you have it. You heard it here first. Star Trek rules the world. 
Uh, so this is the part of the show where I ask you what you think. Go to elementopi.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the page, fill out the form, let us know what you think. Send an email to edl at elementopi.com or uh, dial us at 559-IAMOPI while driving down the Autobahn uh, like uh, Door to Door Geek did, and uh, we'll put your uh, your recording on the show, most likely. Um, we, uh, we, we loved hearing from you, even when you're berating me. I like it. I know that seems weird, but I do, because it tells me that we have an active, impassioned audience out there. When when I do something and nobody cares, it's time to stop doing it. You people care, and I appreciate that, and we don't have to agree. Uh, I'm just glad that you care, uh, and, and I care about, about you guys, um, and I, I appreciate it. You are the reason that we do this show. I say this that often, but it's, it's absolutely true. So uh, thank you for being a listener. If you like the show, tell others about it. Um, rate it and review it on whatever uh, uh, app store or, or uh, iTunes or, or podcast repository, whatever. Um, but iTunes is the one that people tend to look at and other databases pull from. So I would consider it a personal favor to me if you would go through the effort of finding a machine that's running iTunes or installing it on a VM or something like that so that you can give us a rating and review on the iTunes store. I would appreciate that. Uh, but also Stitcher or FM, uh, Last FM or not, not Last FM. Anyway, whatever whatever all those things are that people use, we, we've been around long enough. We're pretty much everywhere. Uh, so let us know what you think. Um, let others know what you think. And um, Seth, thank you for being here. Chris, we missed you and hope to have you back next week. And for now, I'm going to say that ends this episode. 